Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Tracking Shot Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Chris Spencer. And I'm the other host, Taylor Dotson. And this week we are talking about the 1932 version of Scarface, directed by Howard Hawks. It is not the more famous Brian De Palma version of Scarface. It is 1932. It is about Al Capone in 1920s Chicago. Um, and specifically, we're going to be talking about two uses of music in the movie that, that are pretty interesting, actually. Yeah. The, the, the basis for those pieces of music that are used in this movie are, are kind of fascinating. Right, and something interesting about this film is that these two points are really the only time that music is used because there's no non-diegetic music at all in the right. film. Um, it's only used in places where it would happen naturally in the world that we're watching. Um, other than the opening and closing title sequences, which is just music that you would typically hear from the 30s. Um, But yeah, these two points are really cool. Do you want to go over yours first or mine first? Sure. Well, well, before we start those, I think there is one other sequence where there's music, and that is during a nightclub scene, right? Right, 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 right. And that's still diegetic, but it's not as interesting as maybe these two other parts of yeah. the movie because one recurring thing that happens is um al capone tony tony right um whistles this refrain repeatedly throughout the movie um and that refrain comes from an opera titled let me pull it up here Lucia di Lammermoor, which is, I believe, it, well, it's based on Sir Walter Scott's novel, The Bride of Lammermoor. And the, I read through a synopsis of the opera's uh, plot, and it has a similar sort of uh, story to Romeo and Juliet, which when you think about that in the context of this movie, there's some interesting parallels that you could draw, because there's sort of the forbidden romance between Al Capone and his sister? Tony and Cheska? Yeah. There's yeah. there's some... Which is... Yeah, I keep calling him Al Capone. The movie doesn't call him Al Capone. Yeah, I think it... Yeah. But there, there, there's, some, there's some flirtations with incest that the movie... Well, there was, there was more, but then... Um code right the Hayes the film code. code they were like yo you can't have incest that's nasty cut this out and yeah. then they were like okay because this this was actually before the production code administration this was before the 1934 pca code and everything mm-hmm. but it was a part of the Hayes, or it was sort of the, the Hayes code which was a slightly more lenient precursor um to that m- forced some major alterations to the movie yeah they weren't Um, as strict as the production code but they're like hey maybe don't have incest yeah and and (laughs) (laughs) there was like one of the things that the those Hayes codes um forced was the whole like prologue with the text saying yo gangsters are bad Mm -hmm. like this is not this is not behavior you should imitate this movie is about con- the condemnation of this behavior right. and so on and so forth. Um, 
and that actually pushed the film back a year, mm-hmm. um, which changed some of the uh, sort of, um, I don't know what you would call it, um, reception. No, not reception, but the, the cultural relevance of some of the parts of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting back to the, um, the refrain that he whistles is from this this opera and we talked about the inference with the the romance but also with the incest excuse me but also the way that the opera ends is this this guy has fallen in love with this woman there he's from a rival household or kind of one of the guards just really hates this guy and the guy for some for political reasons has to go to France on a whim and he and this woman exchange a private wedding vow um, they share rings so on and so forth so he he goes to France for his political reasons and the guard who hates him comes to the woman Lucia and says hey he has forgotten about you he's taken on another lover he shows her evidence of such um, here's why you should get married to this other guy instead so she says okay I guess like I, I guess he has just totally forgotten about me that sucks um, let's get married to this other guy uh, at the marriage ceremony the first guy comes back in his name is um, Eduardo Eduardo um, two seconds let me check Edgardo, excuse me, I was halfway there. Yeah. Uh, Edgardo of Ravenswood reappears at the marriage ceremony between Lucia and this other dirtbag guy. Mm-hmm. And he's upset. He says that she's betrayed him and tramples the, the wedding ring and storms out. The guy, the, the guard who hates him, challenges him to a duel. Um, and they don't end up fighting because... At the last moment, somebody interrupts the marriage celebrations that um, the woman has gone mad and killed her husband, her new husband. Lucia has gone mad and killed her bridegroom. Mm -hmm. Um, She imagines this, she she has this dream sequence where she imagines being with um, Edgardo, so on and so forth she collapses and is having like a delirious attack or whatever and uh, Edgardo comes in and kills himself with the guard's sword um, and they everybody's dead they, they both died so mm-hmm. very much like a star-crossed lovers Romeo and Juliet style of, of um, ending although it doesn't seem like anybody learned a lesson at the end mm-hmm. like they did in Romeo and Juliet and, and there's, there's a bit of irony there with Scarface um, considering at the end they both die um, mm-hmm. they they're, they get shot up um, in their home well she she gets shot she gets shot through up. the window right and then he gets shot because he decides to try and run away from the cops even though he's surrounded right and then he gets um, shot by an officer with a Tommy gun um and and so in in the end this uh terrible ancestral romance 
is thwarted by forces who have determined that these people should not be together and they haven't directly determined that these people should not be together but the cops hate this guy right for a rightful reason or not doesn't really doesn't really matter in the the irony of it but that recurring theme that is present whenever tony is going to violently hurt somebody um kind of plays into that Mm mm-hmm narrative right. i don't know there it, it, there's there's tenuous connections there but there certainly are connections between the opera and why he's whistling that because why else would they include this random uh bit from an uh, a sextet from an opera right and i saw um on the um scarface wikipedia it says that during the tune that he whistles um in the opera it's accompanied by words that translate to what was what restrains me in such a moment which um, I think is interesting, like, if that was a, I mean, I, it has to be a reason why they right. chose him to whistle that, is, like, what restrains me in this moment from murdering yeah, from just all of these people. Yeah. Yes. Right up, yeah. Exactly that. Um, so I think that's kind of neat. Yeah, certainly. And, and mo- this is another interesting thing, is that this is just, again, kind of how we talked about with, the Leopard of the Leopard was several years past this dawn of sound in, in cinema, sync sound in cinema. This is five years after the first commercial sync sound movie. Which um, makes sense as to why there's not a bunch of music. Right. But then at the same time, for only being five years after the dawn of sync sound, there is specific attention given to the music selected mm-hmm. in, in both of these events that we're, that we're talking about today. It shows a sort of dedication to a part of the craft that was new, was was, was relatively new at the time. Mm-hmm. And there were still detractors in 1932 um, of the use of sync sound in cinema. Mm-hmm. And so I think Scarface does a really good job of showing, look, here is another tool in your arsenal to tell a multifaceted story. Mm -hmm. It is not just about what you're seeing and what you're reading. Now it's about what you're seeing, what you're reading, and what you're hearing all as a cohesive unit. Um, And I think that's a really important thing to consider with how watchable this movie still is today. Like, I I think this movie's phenomenal. Yeah, I think it's a a really, really, really well-made, exciting-to-watch movie Mm -hmm. that there's a lot of people who don't enjoy black and white movies and don't enjoy early movies for a variety of reasons. But this is one that I would show people and say, look, no, cinema has always been what you like about it today. Mm-hmm. Cine- there, there, there have been facets in cinema that you like throughout all of, throughout the, the since the dawn. Right. And this is like one of the sweet points of forward-looking early cinema that utilizes that sync sound in a really layered and multifaceted way yeah i think that i would have to say that this might be my favorite movie that ben shows in mafia um i don't know i don't know if i can quite put my finger on why but it it was one of the movies in the class that i didn't get bored during and i think part of that's because a lot of the movies in that class are quite long like well, three I mean, hours long. Godfather 3. 
<laughs> yeah. But, uh. like, um, I don't know. It's it's easily one of my favorites that, that is shown in Mafia in the movies. Yeah. And and I think, I think an important thing about that, though, is that it's not boring. It is especially exciting. Yeah. And yet it doesn't sacrifice depth. It mm-hmm. doesn't sacrifice the depth that you would find in maybe... I'm sorry. It doesn't lose the depth that you wouldn't find in a popular blockbuster movie today. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that blockbuster movies can't have depth, but what I am saying is that if you are going to make a Marvel movie, most Marvel movies lack the political and social depth of something like Scarface. Mm-hmm. And yet, Scarface is still really interesting and exciting on a on on, on a cursory glance, at, on a cursory viewing. Mm-hmm. It is not something that you're like, "Okay, and here we go with the pol- the, the the politics and the sociology and mm-hmm. the the, so- the the social commentary and blah 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 blah." It is such a well-baked pie. I don't think there's any scene in this movie that's obvious. Like, there's not a a part where a scene ends, and I'm like, okay, well, the next scene's obviously going to be right. this. Or we're watching the next scene, and I'm like, well, duh, of course this would happen right. next. Like, I never felt that way while watching this. And, um, I, and Yeah, and I think that the use of this metaphor as music is... Um, emblematic of the film's success and the film's watchability mm-hmm. and and because you can watch the movie not know that that is something relevant and still enjoy it as like a just a pure audio, audio cue as to oh he's about to beat somebody's ass yeah like and it's it's either that and that is more than films five years ago five mm-hmm. years prior had but then on top of that at the time, it would have been very easy for somebody watching this movie to have seen that opera and, yeah. and to say, oh, wow, that's, that's from up. this opera that I just saw down the road at the other theater right. um, a couple months ago. And mm-hmm. that connection is another really important aspect of why the movie is so interesting to talk mm-hmm. about. And I think also that plays into the moment you're about to talk about that is another cultural touchstone that took place prior to the movie coming out, but then was utilized. Yeah, so in um, in the scene where we see Cheska and her new husband, um, Tony's best friend, I can't recall his name at this I'm moment. I'm looking. It's something Italian. <laughs> uh, it is... Da-da-da-da-da. Man, there's a lot of stuff on this Wikipedia page. Um, Guino. Guino, yep. So she's singing. She's sitting at a piano, singing a song, like, real cheerfully to Guino. And he's like, okay, neat. <laughs> you can stop now. Yeah. Uh, the song that she's sing, singing is called The Wreck of the Old 97, um, which is about a train wreck that happened um, in 1903, September 27th, 1903. Um, it was a derailment of a train um due to excessive speed not um 11 people died and there were seven injuries um but 
you know, in uh, 1903, there were things people called balladeers, people that wrote ballads mm-hmm. about tragedies. Yeah. Um, and this specific ballad was written by a cousin of a firefighter who was killed in the accident. Um, and he wrote it the day after, and he was actually the guy who wrote the song. Um, his name was on here a second ago. My apologies. Da, 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 Louis. Da, da, um, Louis. Fred Jackson Louis. So that's who the lyrics are attributed to. Um, and he claimed to have written the song the day after the accident in which his cousin was one of the two firemen killed. Um, he worked in a cotton mill that was at the base of the trestle. And he also claims to be to have been on the scene of the accident, pulling victims from the wreckage. Um, and then G.B. Grayson and Henry Witter um, recorded the ballad with um, Vernon Dallert in 1924, and they released it. Um, and it is often cited as the first million-selling country music release in the American record history. Um, so this song was pretty popular at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, was like 10 years old by the time this movie came out, almost, but with a song that popular, you're still it's still going right. to be popular at that time. Um, but the music was often accompanied by a banjo and a fiddle, while the lyrics were either sung, crooned, yodeled, whistled, hummed, recited, or chanted. Um, yeah, so it was interesting that she was playing it on the piano instead of when it originally came out, it was on a harmonica and a banjo. Um, so yeah, that's what, that's what she's singing. She's singing of tragedy right before she experiences tragedy of Guino being shot by her brother so yeah and and I there's also the idea like I I was reading about the actual wreck earlier Mm -hmm. today and basically what happened was this railroad line uh, was delivering things from they were in Washington D.C. and delivering things and they had a reputation of never being late Mm mm-hmm and yet they left Washington, D.C. an hour late the day of the accident. And so they were going very, very fast to compensate for this lost time. And that is what inevitably caused the derailing and the, the deaths of 11 people mm-hmm. and the injuries of 7 people. Um, I think you can draw a corollary from the way that that accident takes place to... The movie. Oh, we're joined by Pixie. The kitty meows. If you could hear those. Um, there's. You can always you you can look at the collateral damage around Tony and and all the people who were hurt and how he was hurt or how he was killed and Jessica was killed. You can look at all of that and and sort of understand how it can all look like a train that's just moving way too fast. Right, and and Tony was trying to get to the top right. way too fast. Yeah. And I think, I mean, this might be a reach, but um, looking at it from the viewpoint of Cheska should have been quicker to give Tony the news. because About like, the marriage. About, about the, the marriage. marriage. Right. Um, and maybe that could have been avoided. Right. Um, because it was his mother who told him. Right. 
it's again it's another example of a cultural depth that this film utilizes audio to portray mm-hmm. it is like like why would they have picked that song if they didn't intend for that song to be relevant somehow mm-hmm. so i mean and then it leads to you and i talking like this mm-hmm. it lead the, the music inherently leads to more in-depth discussions about the movie because it is a choice that was made right people could either just watch the film and listen to the music that's played or they could be like oh why is that that right. and then look into it and find these right correlations and i know that's a huge part that you like to do mm-hmm. that's, that's a huge thing in what you like to do with movies and for movies is understand the choices behind soundtracks yeah um absolutely and it, it's a lot more than just does this sound okay here right um there has to be a reason behind it right which is a cool thing about movies and music and yeah. their relationship and I think, and I think, I mean, I've said it like six times already, but I think this movie is sort of the one of the foundation old movies for the movie and the soundtrack being so intrinsically tied together. Mm-hmm. Um, because it had only, like, it had only been five years since the first use of. Because I mean, even even um, the jazz singer does not for the entirety of the movie, does not use music in such an in-depth way. Right, there's no non-diegetic music in The Jazz Singer. Right. There's only situational. Right. And 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 the music in... Well, whatever. I don't want to talk too much about The Jazz Singer. It's not the movie we're talking about. But, yes, Scarface is just a more concentrated product than a lot of stuff that was being made at the time. Yeah. Because of its music. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the music director for Scarface, um, his name was Adolf. Adolf, Adolf, something. Adolf Tandler was the film's musical director. Um, And to go back to the party sequence that we talked about before um, at the nightclub, Gus Arnheim served as the orchestra's conductor for that scene. Um, and his Coconut Grove Orchestra performed um, St. Louis Blues by W.C. Handy and Some of These Days by Sheldon Brooks in the nightclub. Just as a, a last yeah. little info bit there. Oh, interesting. Um, hang on, I think I just discovered something. Never mind. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, I think I think that's gonna do it. Yeah, I think that's all we have to say about Scarface, um, the original and better Scarface, in my personal opinion. Well, we'll talk about the other one eventually. <laughs> so uh, we, I think we both have some thoughts about that movie, mm. about Brian De Palma's yeah. Scarface. But yeah, thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more in-depth discussion about another movie. Heck yeah. Yeah. See you guys later.